good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk, the pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman. You know, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the Wilmot program's designed exactly for someone like me. There's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't have to be soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bothering me for a while. I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes just a casual front porch style talk of the pastor's the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Lance O'Donnell from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Akamanawak, Wisconsin. Now I've got my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time at letstalk at kfuo.org or call in during the program. If you're in St. Louis, including Metro East, you can call in at 314-821-0850. Or anywhere in the Lord 48, you can call in toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Lance, welcome to the show. Great to be back with you. Delighted. I'm delighted to have you, I must say. This has been um, <laughs> a very interesting few weeks we've had, huh? It has indeed. But you know, when I was uh, trying to schedule this program, it uh, turned out that you were on vacation. And I've yeah. got some questions regarding that. For example, right now I'm, I'm looking at one of my favorite comic strips is called Pearls Before Swine. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that one. but the, the has... I have seen it now and then. I'm not a big comic guy, but occasionally I look. I know of the cartoon. Yeah, yeah. I like this one. And, you know, they, they have such characters as pig, rat, and goat. <laughs> Very original names. And the stat, the one I'm looking at right now, it shows pig, rat, and goat. And pig is very happy. And rat says, well, what are you so happy about? And pig replies, I've been given six months to a year to focus on myself and what's important to me while spending all the more time with my loved ones. Rat replies, <laughs> the guy even sees a bright side of a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, thinking about it, he's right. <laughs> he's right. And I know you just got finished uh, taking a vacation, taking a break from everything that's been going on. Is How important is this, I think? You know, like, like Pig says, he has now got all this wonderful time to, to focus on himself and spend time with his loved ones. What do you think about that? Well, I know it's important uh, to have rest. Um, you know, the, the, the Sabbath is certainly fundamentally about resting in God's word. Um, but you know, there, there, there is also a strong case to be made for the rest of body, um, rest of, rest of mind, um, that comes from taking a little, taking a little break. And, um, I was very, very glad to have it after the last few months. That's for sure. I believe that. Uh, sort of the same here, but uh, what's a vacation? Did I say to myself, I don't know. Did you get a vacation this summer? Uh, no, no. Um, actually, I've got a lot of vacation time built up. Problem is, is that I've got this newscast every day, so I can't really take time off because of that. So I'll work around it somehow. I'll do something, probably take a series of half days and uh, enjoy yeah, it. Big pardon? The answer to your question, I think, also depends to some degree on personality. Okay. Um and I, if I may elaborate on that, please do. Um, so, my uh, our associate pastor here at St. Paul's is named Steve Charnell, and Steve is an introvert, and um, 
you know, and he likes his vacation now and then, but he's, he's a much more laid back personality. Um, I am definitely a type A guy. Um, and I have never, uh, kind of turned off well, you know, turned off work well. Um, I tend to keep dwelling, you know, and thinking about things. And what I've discovered about myself over the years is one that's really important to do that, you know, just to set aside, like the cartoon said, to, to set aside your work and to focus, you know, and focus in on your family, for example. Um, you know, some Steve does a really great job, I think, of when he, you know, when he leaves the office and he goes home, um, you know, he's really kind of mentally home and he's at rest. Uh, I don't do that as well. So I found over the years that I rest like rest better, reconnect better with my family when we go away. You know, my family did the same thing when I was growing up. Uh, my dad rarely brought his work home with him, uh, or at least the worries of his work. And uh, we always had this, this vacation. We usually went down to Florida uh, and just forgot about everything. We relaxed. We went on the beach. Uh, Dad and I were big into surf fishing. Uh, mother would read. and It really was a very relaxing thing. It was kind of sad when we had to pack up and head back to St. Louis or Chicago. We, I started in Chicago, but continued in St. Louis. Um, right. But it was. I mean, it, was a, it was a very, very good time to uh, just but contemplate your navel, I guess, you know, just sort of unwind and forget about the cares and the worries and everything and just enjoy the sunshine and enjoy the family and and enjoy everything. You know, you the word recreation, you know, the the it's the root of that is recreate. Yep. And that's really what this is. You know, you can't go on and on and on without having problems. Uh a little confession here. In in my adult life, I actually became something of a workaholic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that uh, that had uh, an impact. That had an effect. Uh, I had, uh, I remember one year in particular uh, when I was working, oh, gee, I'm going to say 60 to 70 hours a week. Uh, yeah. And I broke out in shingles. <laughs> you know, from, oh, yeah. From, from stress. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a lesson from that. You can't really do that. And then, you know, I mentioned before, you know, uh, I've had a couple of heart attacks. Right. Gee, what happens there? What's that about? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's your sure. body trying to tell you something. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. And you had one fairly young, right? Uh, yeah. I had my first one at the age of 46. And I had Good my second gravy. one at the age of 55. Yeah. Both of those pretty young. For a heart attack. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I still remember the second one in particular. I remember I'd been having these uh, chest pains off and on for some time, but they'd usually just disappear after a couple of minutes. Um, and one day it hit and just didn't go away. So uh, I told my wife, you know, I'm something's wrong here. I think I got to go see a doctor. And she, are you having heart attacks? Jeez, I don't know. <laughs> so we went to the uh, ER. And uh, the doctor did a bunch of tests and everything, and he comes back to me and he starts talking about things like, uh, oh, elevated, elevated enzyme levels and blah blah blah. 
anything but English, you know. And so I stopped him and I said, Doctor, are you saying that I've, I've had a heart attack? And he says, no, you're having a heart attack. Oh, well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I, well, yeah, that's, that's a whole different... That's a whole different ball game. Yeah, it really is. And uh, it's times like that when you really have to face your own mortality. Um, for sure. And you know, as I mentioned, I mentioned to you, it was actually a very peaceful time for me because then I could really concentrate on what was important and what wasn't. What could I help and what couldn't I help? You know, the I was either going to live or die. There was nothing I could do about it one way or the other. So why worry? Right. So you, you learned your lesson on worry through a couple of heart attacks. Yeah, that'll do it to you. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Um, but, um, you know, life, life throws you curves, and you've got to be able to sometimes just step back. And right. And I think, you know, for my case, thinking about our recent vacation, uh, our communication technology has complicated that. Um, you know, with our cell phones and the data connection. And so, you know, you can't, you know, you often can't leave work um, even when you go on vacation. Oh, yeah, that's so true. I, I, I counted, I counted myself. I really, you know, the COVID thing was really intense. Uh, you know, the constant, you know, and, and it is still in, in many respects, really intense. Uh, and, it, it it created an unprecedented level of stress and things we had to deal with for which many in many respects, you know, as a pastor, I'm not trained, you know, all the health uh, stuff. We, it just, it was an unprecedented level of stress. And that came out in our staff and myself in all kinds of different ways. And so I was very, you know, we, we were scheduled to go camping we have a little pop-up camper. We were going to go to the Outer Banks in North Carolina and visit my brother and mother who now live in the Charlotte area. And uh, that got canceled because uh, of COVID. The uh, couple of our campgrounds canceled. So, you know, I couldn't find any place to go in Wisconsin for more than a day or two at a time. We had scheduled to be gone for two weeks. I called an old friend from Ohio that had a cabin in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Uh -huh. And it just so happened the two weeks we were scheduled to be on vacation they didn't have anybody at their cabin. So that's where we went. And they have no, there's no internet there. There's barely any cell connection. We got no data. We could maybe occasionally get a text message through, uh, but most often not even a phone call. So we were almost literally off the grid. I bet that was relaxing for you. Uh, it took a couple days to settle into, and then I was very happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, especially as a pastor, you've got a lot of responsibilities normally. But my gosh, in a case like this where your your uh, congregations, not just their spiritual health, but their mental health and their, and their physical health are all endangered, and people look to you uh, to be a leader here. And that's a heck of a lot right. of responsibility on your shoulders. And it, it's challenging. Um, I, I happened to catch, you know, I, I think toward the tail end of vacation, we were on a, a day trip, and we actually had a brief period while we were in the car of data access. So, you know, I, I pulled up Facebook, which I, I, generally speaking, spend less than 10 minutes a day on. But one of my pastor friends had posted some kind of meme a video of one of those – 
obstacle course shows where somebody's trying to cross from one thing to another yeah. and these things are popping up and bouncing the person all over the place and he had underneath it uh, this is what it's like to be a pastor during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe yeah. it. Yeah, Greg Michaels, his name. And I thought, you know, and that's it's really what it's like. I mean, right right now, tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but this next Tuesday, uh, I'm going to meet with our elders again about, you know, safety procedures and what we're going to do or what adjustments we're going to make, you know, for, for August. And, you know, I have... You know, here where we are in Wisconsin, um, you know, people in urban areas with different, you know, state mandates have different things. But we have a we have a considerable amount of freedom about what we want, what we can do that people don't have in other areas of the country, which is actually more complicated for me because I'm guessing I have 15 or 20 percent of the congregation who are virulently anti-mask and um and I have 15 to 20 percent of the congregation who are absolutely terrified uh, to go out at all, and lots of people in the middle. And so, you know, so what do we do mm-hmm. uh, in terms of conducting public worship? Well, um, I know at my church, uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of problems too. Uh, and you know, the, the uh, St. Louis area has now been once again been restricted rather severely. Uh, since the latest outbreaks. Um, but, for example, my pastor's not been allowed to uh, visit uh, parishioners who are in a uh, hospital. Right. Um, either, Same here. Yeah, it doesn't matter if he's wearing a mask or not. They won't let him in. Um, and we have uh, only a few people, really, now have been showing up for church. Uh, but we're, we're coping with it as best we can. Uh, you know, the pastor wears a, a latex glove when he passes out the host. And, of course, we have the, the small cups for the wine, if you don't want to do the uh, the common cup. And we do maintain social distancing, which is not all that hard to do when most of the people aren't there. <clears throat> uh, and, and, you know, that's kind of a danger, too, because, you know, people will get out of the habit of going to church. And, uh, you know, frankly, I did that, too. I mean, when the first when it first locked yep. down, uh, I probably didn't go to church for about three months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had people who are uh, every Sunday people tell me, you know, it was really kind of nice just to sit there on the couch and watch you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you yeah. I, let me tell you something that will make you laugh. Okay. Um, so. We're in the middle of the Upper Peninsula, uh, and the second weekend we go to this little congregation, and I want to give a shout-out to Pastor Arthur Bodie, who has a four-point parish, or parishes, in in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. He's getting ready to retire. So we visit his little congregation in Germfask, uh, Michigan, in the middle of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And, you know, there are—it's a tiny little congregation— there are probably 18 people there, and it's me, my wife, my youngest son, and my youngest daughter. And, you know, we have this terribly small group, and as with many small congregations, so he does his announcements at the beginning, and he's getting ready to retire and talking about a meeting. And we had, you know, we had introduced ourselves on the way in, and he said, well, go ahead and introduce yourselves. You know, it's like a little family gathering. And, you know, and so we do. And and then my wife and my 16-year-old daughter get the giggles. <laughs> and it is and uncontrollably so. 
<laughs> so Carrie, you know, Carrie and Phelan are just starting to giggle. And I'm, you know, I'm getting, I mean, you would have found this uh, very amusing uh, sitting in the pew somewhere, you know, and I, I'm looking at, you know, my son, so my son's on the far right, then his, then it's his mom, then it's my daughter, then me. And I, I elbow my 16 year old daughter. I said, I said, Phelan, he thinks you're laughing at him. Stop it. <laughs> Right. And then and then it just makes it worse. I said, do you have to leave? Do you and your mother have to get up? And, you know, and she says to me, oh, dad, 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 I can't get up right now. If I do, I'll probably wet my pants. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there I am. And we're so thankful to be in church, you know, on vacation. And my wife and my daughter are about to wet themselves because they're giggling so hard. And I am just mortified because I think, you know, I, I know I know as a pastor, the guy probably thinks we're laughing at him. It just so happens these two girls got the giggles and they can't stop. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of an episode of the uh, Mary Tyler Moore show. I don't know if you ever watched that back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was the episode where Chuckles the Clown had been killed. He had been he had been wearing a peanut costume and was uh, apparently deshelled by a rogue elephant. <laughs> but <laughs> they went to the memorial service for uh, for Chuckles, and Mary gets the giggles <laughs> in the middle of the funeral oration. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. <laughs> well, that's so. That's what happened to me. Um, you know, and I'm trying to be. You know, Mr. Good, responsible pastor guy, and and my, you know, and my wife and my daughter are just losing it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Upper Upper Michigan. I've never been there. I've heard a lot about it. I've been to the lower part of Michigan. Um, yeah, the Upper Peninsula is is mostly national forest and some marshland. Um, it is is. Uh, I think especially the coast on Lake Superior is gorgeous. And you have, uh, on the Wisconsin side, the Apostle Islands um, National Lakeshore. Um, And then on the Michigan side, as you go a little bit further east, uh, you have the Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. And off the coast of that, Isle Royal National Park, there are no cars there. Um, You know, and it's wilderness, and you'll get moose and bears and all kinds all kinds of other stuff it is absolutely gorgeous country it gives you um, time to, to contemplate some of the beauties of the earth that god has given us well we we said when we got back you know it was warm and so we of course turned the air conditioning on and my wife said to me the other the other day you know when it was 85 and your your humidity in st louis is a different caliber oh, yeah. uh, caliber than we have here but so, you know, we're Wisconsin people, we're hot, and so we turn the air conditioning on. But Carrie, my wife said to me, you know, I really miss the fresh air. You know, because we didn't have air conditioning, and it was, you know, we were in a very shaded part, and we had all the windows open, we slept with the windows open. Uh, it, it was really lovely. Yeah, that's something that sometimes we can't do here in St. Louis. Uh, for, for example, when I got up this morning, I checked the, uh, I checked the weather. And it turned out our high temperature today is supposed to be 91. Well, guess what? That was also the humidity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's 
that's a that's a steamy miserable day yeah well you know we're right at the uh the confluence really of three major rivers in the ohio the not the ohio pardon me the um, uh the missouri the illinois and of course the mississippi yep and uh, a couple of other you know we're, we're relatively low in terms of our elevation and all this stuff just ugh. But I yeah, got to tell you, yeah. after having spent 30 years out in California, I'll take this any day of the week. Man. Oh, you like it better than the the heat in California? Well, you, you were Central Valley or something, weren't uh, you? I, no, I was in Southern California. I, uh, in fact, the last 16 years, I was in uh, uh, in Palm Springs in the Coachella Valley, and that's uh, that's that's we're, we're talking desert there, tumbleweeds and sand yeah. dunes, and uh, the temperature would. Every every summer, I mean, the temperature would hit about 115, and a couple of times when I was there, it went up to above 120, and <laughs> it was not at all unusual to have the humidity in single digits. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like the dry heat better, but that 115 is still bloody hot. Well, when people would tell me, hey, it's a dry heat, my reply would be, yeah, but so's my oven. <laughs> <laughs> That's what like. Two years ago, when we we went out west on our a big camping trip, uh, my sunglasses started to melt oh, outside Hoover Dam. <laughs> well, we had. Um, I remember when I first moved down to uh, Palm Springs. Uh, that was one of the times when the temperature was over 120. The uh, yeah, airport there had high. to shut down because you know the temperature rises, the air gets thinner. Right. And it got to the point where it was so thin that the aircraft couldn't take off, so they actually had to close the airport. Oh, good gravy. So they've extended the hour, they've extended the runway now, so they don't have a problem anymore. But, well, I remember that my uh, first uh, first year there, I remember uh, taking my dog out, big old friendly thing named Churchill, um, out uh, for a walk at about 11 o'clock in the evening, and the temperature was in the 90s. You hold on a second. You had a you had a pug named Churchill. No, 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 no. Uh, he, he was he was huge. Uh, <laughs> he was about one hundred and thirty well, pounds. That also applies. Yeah. No, he was uh, he was uh, kind of a mix. He was a mix of a Saint Bernard, a Lab, and a Malamute. Oh wow! Yeah, it's a beautiful dog, but very very laid back. Um, but oh oh gosh, it was hot there. It took me a while to to acclimate to that. I would imagine. Uh, yeah. Also gave me incentive to go back to church because I didn't want to go someplace that's where it's going to be that hot. <laughs> yeah. So, so are you back in? The, are you back in the studio now? Yes, By the I, way, are you still at home? No, I'm in the studio now. Okay, and and how are your protocols in uh, in the IC now? Uh, well, we have to wear masks uh, in any of the common areas, and uh, okay. There's only a few of us really who are coming in. the The IC is really very much shut down, but there are some some things, you know, for administration and uh, things along that line. And of course, here at the station, we have to have at least one person here to keep it going. So, sure. Yeah. So that's what we're doing, and we have to fill, go do an online survey before we come into the office to say, yeah, I haven't had the following symptoms and things like that. So. Yeah, we're doing it. the uh, The IC is still open, uh, and it's it's amazing how much we are getting done, uh, even without being able to attend the uh, IC as frequently as as we should. Uh, again, that's one of the things that God gives us. We have these uh, these things that we can do now. We, you know, yeah. I, can, I can do so much work from home. 
Uh, some things I can't do. That's one of the reasons why I do come in for a while. Uh, but it's amazing. You know, a lot of the people really don't have to be here to do things. And as I say, I can do it like 80% of my work from home. So, Well, so that's one of, I mean, hopefully, I mean, that's going to, uh, that, that's true all over the place. My guess is in the longer term, that's going to be a double-edged sword. On the negative side, it is only going to increase the expectation of people to work from home, which doesn't allow people to rest. Uh, on, on, the, on the other hand, there are lots of things that we can do now and reasonably well uh, from home, and that enable, I mean, that, you know, any time less in the car is often more time with your family. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that's not a bad thing at all. Well, oddly enough, uh, it can be. Uh, we've, we've, I was reading an article today about a, uh, there's been a huge increase in domestic violence. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, and I should have qualified that by saying under the right circumstances. I mean, if you have a healthy home. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, there's no doubt that we've had a spike. I mean, the spike in anxiety and domestic violence and, I mean, the country erupted. Um, oh, yeah. No, we've had, you know. In many and various ways. Well, we're setting. Uh, which is something I want to talk to you about after the break, okay. for sure. I'll tell you what, let's yeah. do a break right now, and then we'll get to it. I think this is going to be a fun topic. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good. Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. LCMS Disaster Response and Training provides guidance and counsel to congregations seeking to show mercy to their neighbors before, during, and after disasters. From congregation preparedness to equipping volunteers in our Lutheran Early Response Team training, we can help you engage your community, particularly those who are suffering in any way with the love of Christ. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org forward slash disaster. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 715 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. On this date in 1998, Steven Spielberg's World War II epic that garnered 11 Academy Award nominations, Saving Private Ryan, opened in theaters. 
Several times in the film, one character, a sniper, Private Daniel Jackson, quotes from the Bible as he lines up his enemy targets. On Omaha Beach from Psalm 22, be not thou far from me, O Lord, for trouble is near. Later from Psalm 25, O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. In the climactic scene from a church steeple, Private Jackson quotes from Psalm 144, my fortress, my high tower, and my deliverer, as he sacrifices his own life for his country. Engage with the Bible. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk, the Pastor's in. I'm program host Kip Allen, and my guest pastor today is Lance O'Donnell from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Accomanawak, Wisconsin. We've been talking about the importance of excuse me, we've been talking about the importance of taking time to uh, get back and to just contemplate everything, to 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 somehow relieve the ease and the pressure that we're all that we're all facing, especially during times of the uh, coronavirus. We have a listener on the line right now, uh, Cindy Neff. Cindy, welcome to the program. Do you have a question for us? I do. I do. Um, this is probably, like, not fair, but I'm going to do it anyway. Earlier this morning on uh, one of the programs with the program with Andy and Sarah, I think it's the coffee hour, mm -hmm. there were two pastors talking about the times. And it's kind of like what you're talking about, like what do we do in this time and uh, the time of Corona and, and the, you know, just the scary, it's kind of a scary time. And, um, and one of the pastors was asked a question about one of the things that he hasn't heard um, a sp in spiritual conversations about God is, um, like, bringing the church to repentance. And I, um, what, okay, I'm maybe not understanding this, um, like, because, like, daily, I um, think about my sins, and I pray Luther's evening prayer every night, um, and and that and and so and sometimes I name my sins one by one, but I don't think I know all my sins. I d actually don't. But um, I want to know, in general, how do we look at repentance as as a body? And I, I don't feel that I have any kind of a grip on that or understanding. But, Pastor, could you help me? Good question, Lance. I'll do the best, yeah, I'll do the best I can. So when you say uh, having the church confess as a body, you mean the whole Christian church or a particular congregation or something of that sort? Is that what you're that talking about? Our, or maybe our whole synod or, some, you know, like... Um, I, I, I don't, the pastors were talking about, uh, you know, about bringing the church to repentance, because this whole thing, I mean, all sickness is due to sin. I mean, it, it's just our fallen world is a sinful fallen world. So how do we as Christians, and how do I as a Christian go before God and confess confess sins for the whole world. I, I guess maybe that's what I'm asking. I don't exactly understand. I don't I, I should have called the show, but I don't know if that's a, I don't think it's a call-in show. But I really, um, I've thought about this through this whole thing, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not, 
are excessively burdened, but I certainly want to understand that better. Lance, could I take a crack at answering this for her? Give it a go. You know, every Sunday at church, you have the the confession. You know, I, I a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto yeah. you. Every Sunday. I you, do. You I are do. confessing your sins. You are repenting of your sins right then. You do it every Sunday. And every time you pray, you do it. So I do. So every I, time I say the Lord's Prayer, I do it. You're right. So you see you're already on the way. You may not have realized it, but you're already there. Lance, well, am I reading that correctly? Well, I think so, Cindy. And I, that's what I, what Kip, uh, what you actually said about the Lord's Prayer is one of the things that I was going to suggest is, you know, if we look at the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer is forgive us our trespasses as right. we forgive those who trespass against us. And uh, Luther's explanation I, in the small catechism, I think, is really helpful. You know, we, we pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny us, deny our prayer because of them. We, there, we are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor do we deserve them. But we ask that we would that he would uh, give them all to us by his grace, for we daily sin much and surely do deserve nothing but punishment. And so, too, we sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Um, you know, we... Um, when you when you pray that petition, you know when you pray, forgive us our trespasses. Um, you're you're also you're also asking forgiveness from God for the sins that you don't that you mentioned that you don't even know about. Um, and I, I hope that I hope that gives you a little bit of comfort because you know sometimes people feel guilty about well I didn't name this or that or the other thing. Um, well. And- well, and I don't, I don't particularly because I believe that God, when I need to know what I do, God will show me so that because it's the time for me, it'll, it'll, it's the time that I have understanding and, and I can turn. And, you know, he gives that to me. I believe that that's a gift, that God gives us a gift, that gift. And so, um, but what I didn't understand about this morning was the, when the pastor said, we're not talking about repentance. And it's like... Oh, that the church is. Um, okay, I, I came from the charismatic movement. Okay, so there were times in the church where we would have, we were would be called to go into the church. I mean, we were, you know, that's where we met. We met in a, like a gymnasium kind of a building, and we would um, kneel down and cry and pray and ask God to forgive us our sins into our chairs. Or I mean, they didn't have pews; they had chairs. And it was like I was confused about that, that too, because. I believe, I mean, because I ask, I mean, I, it's not like I'm real neglectful about asking God to forgive me. <laughs> sure. Because I, I live with myself, okay, because <laughs> I live with myself. Sure. And so, um, so I've never understood, like, in a, I mean, I know that we do it in a corporate sense. I mean, that's what we do every, um, every Sunday. Um, but I, I, it's, I, I almost feel like I'm missing something, and maybe I'm not missing anything, and maybe you're trying to tell me that I, I'm not missing anything. I, 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 these are things that I do truly know. I think she hit well, the there, point right there, Lance. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a, there, there is an individual aspect to this, but you know, sometimes as larger families of believers, we do wrong, and there's a place for the church corporately to confess its own sins, you know, okay. if, if the, if the church is erred, uh, okay. and that may, 
you know, and having not heard the earlier conversation, you know, right. that that might be what we're talking about. You know, I, you know, as a as a pastor, Cindy, you know, this the we we're talking about COVID and stuff. Right. I mean, I had a, I had a I had, you know I had a member of my congregation tell me that you know they didn't want to be a member because early on in the quarantine, uh, because we were observing the law and 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 not you know not only having ten people in the sanctuary, and I had somebody really mad and said we should have basically flaunted the government and disobeyed the law and opened the doors, and mm, <laughs> that's really I don't I. No, that's not good. Well, but, you know, but, you know, but, you know, several weeks later, we realized, you know, we didn't have to be all locked up. Right. We we didn't have to do what we did. And, and, you know, I would be lying to you if I said I didn't feel some guilt over, man, we locked the church. We didn't have communion for two months. Um, You know, uh, you know, have I sinned? You know, I, I, um, you know, and I, I ultimately I had to rest in God's grace. I did the best I could with the information I had, trying to balance the the fourth commandment duty to our government and the in in the fifth commandment duty to to not harm our neighbor and so in the third commandment to 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 worship. <laughs> Well, Cindy, I think we've uh, you've given us some thoughts here, uh, but I think we've uh, hopefully have uh, taken care of it for you. I want to thank you for your call. You've certainly given us a lot of uh, thought here. Lance, uh, I'm going to move on to something a little bit here, a little different. The name of yeah. this program, as you know, is Let's Talk the Pastor is In. Well, what about Let's Talk the Parishioner is In? <laughs> Yeah, you're saying that because you know that I have a question for you. Yes, indeed, I do. So, for those who are listening, um, one one of the I, I told Kip in an email earlier today. I said one of the great things about being a pastor is also all that we get to learn. Um, you know, pastors get to give. You know, we preach long gospel and teach it, but we also get to learn from our people in. Uh, you know, Kip, I am, in, I, I want, I honest to God, I want your help on trying to navigate uh, dealing with the media and uh, COVID. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm honestly, my friend, I'm really struggling because it, it seems to me that everything is partisan. Uh, I'm trying to find out somebody that's trying to be objective and understand several angles of a story. I just, I don't really see that out there. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to navigate, to navigate this. Um, And how do I, how do I get some reliable information so I can be a good citizen and also to serve my congregation? I'm, it's, this is, I'm in a, I'm, I'm just struggling and you're a journalist um, are we totally out of whack, or am I screwed up, or help me navigate this stuff? Well, we are living in uh, turbulent times, and I have to tell you, the profession of journalism has changed markedly since the time I've started and since the time I was in it. Uh, unfortunately, so today, so many uh, journalists believe that their job is to 
lead, I guess. Uh, they know the objective truth. Or they know the truth. Therefore, their their job is to try to convince people that what they're saying is right. You may have heard that one of the uh, one of the editors at the uh, New York Times, a lady by the name of Weiss, Barry Weiss, just recently resigned. And uh, she published her uh, resignation letter, and she had some wonderful observations and very frightening observations as well about the uh, the newsroom about the newsroom culture. And as I said, What's it has name? changed a great deal. Um, and what I do, uh, I am I'm a natural born skeptic. So I automatically assume that whatever I'm reading is going to be a little bit tainted. It's more prevalent now than it is uh, than it has been in the past, I think. That is that is typical of the nature of a reporter, right? It can be. It can be. I know my dad, who is also a uh, a journalist, said I was too I was uh, I was too skeptical. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we were talking. For example, one time I, I, I we were talking about uh, interviewing sources, and uh, I said something to the effect of, you know, people don't talk to reporters because they're altruistic. They want something. And uh, so I'm trying to say, why is this person setting me up? What does he want from me? And mm -hmm. uh, dad was a little bit more open and forgiving than I was, I guess. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's a definite factor. What I do is I try to get to as many different sources as I can. Uh, there are those that I know are biased one way or the other. Uh, I will go to, uh, I'll just give you, for instance, in my daily reading, uh, I will go to uh, some conservative sites like Town Hall, uh, Instapundit, Gateway Pundit, and then I'll also go to uh, the mainstream ones. I'll check out CNN. I'll check out the uh, CBS. I will check out the BBC. That's one I always look at. And then I'll even I even go to social media, and there are some people I follow there. Some people whose whose uh, opinions I value, I don't necessarily agree with. But then after I do that, I can sit back and try to distill what I heard and try to figure out what is true and what isn't. Uh, what can I verify? That's another thing that's that's very important to do. Uh, when you hear somebody say something, don't accept it on face value. You can do things to... You see, now, my, my dilemma, and, and this is maybe just me being stupid, so I, honest to God, I want your help. Um, you're asking me to, you know, to be a reporter, yeah. you know, to, um, I mean, and it just, it seems to me, and I, it may be just because I'm 50 years old and, and beginning to get nostalgic, um, but, you know, I seem to remember a time... 30 years ago when I could, I could trust that a major news media outlet would, would try and see something from several angles. You're right. Um, would, you know, would deliberately give conservative commentators, you know, you know, and I thought PBS was better at this than anybody. Maybe it was just because of time, but, um, but now it seems like it's just, it's yellow journalism, partisan everywhere. It um, is the concept of objective, of objective truth. I think has gone out the window. Uh, it used to be, and, and my training always was, you know, you, you get as much information as you can 
put it out there and let the public decide for themselves, let the reader or the, or the listener decide for themselves on it. You know, I'm not smarter than they are. I, I, I'm not above them. And there's, there's this, this belief of elitism, of the, uh, especially in the media, that I find really, really distressing. Well, and that's because so, what I'm hearing you tell me then is the media in your observation is really largely slanted wherever they are. And you're just to get at to get at the truth that helps you think you're just going to have to do your own research. I think that's largely true. Um, in terms of what is objective, it's difficult to say. Uh, I'll tell you, the one journalist I really respect is Chris Wallace. Okay. And I often, uh, on one of the reasons I was skipping church sometimes, was to catch a Sunday program. Uh, he, and he will bring in both from left and right, and they will discuss the issues. And uh, what's really important is that he does his homework. A lot of reporters don't. That, that, that's something that really bothers me is that, you know, whenever I do an interview or bring someone in, someone in I try to find out as much as I can about the topic before the interview. Uh, you know, journalists are a bit like lawyers. You know, lawyers shouldn't ask a question of a witness unless they already know what the answer is. Same thing with a journalist. And if they say something that isn't true, well, you can call them on it. But you better be able to back it up, not simply because you don't like what they said or particularly like that particular politician or, or, or subject. It's... Uh, it is a difficult thing, and I, I, it is harmful, I think, to our society right now. Uh, I will say that the concept of an objective press is a relatively new one to, this, uh, to, the, uh, to society. Uh, if you look at, uh, go back in history and look at what the newspapers were doing back then, no wonder, you know, some of them had the names like the Whig, the Republican, the Democrat, uh, because they were partisan. They were openly partisan. Uh, well, that, that's, that's part of what I'm, I'm struck by because I have been, five or six years ago, I, I listened, I got the audiobook of Doris Kearns Goodwin's uh, Team of Rivals, her, her book about how President Lincoln managed a cabinet that all, was composed of people who all thought they should have had his job. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I liked it then, and I'm liking it even more now. But I'm, I'm struck as I listen about the, especially, you know, she talked about the press coverage leading in the 1950 or 1850s leading up to Lincoln's election, Democrat papers, Whig papers, Republican papers. Um, the, the media was obviously partisan. And I, I just I remember a time in my life where I just I don't think it was that obvious. And now it seems like it seems to me like. CNN is is just an arm of of the Democratic Party elite and in some respects Fox of of the Republican leaning elite. Um, you know, I don't know whether that's accurate, but I, th I think that you're you're on to it. I, I think uh, on the whole, I think the mainstream media is is overwhelmingly left wing. Uh, there are some exceptions. I think the Wall Street Journal is another one that's very on, uh, on target. Uh, Christian Science Monitor is another one that uh, I often read. Uh, but uh, 
you know, as you pointed out, and as, as I mentioned, you know, the, the idea of an objective media is really a very new phenomenon. Uh, really didn't happen until, oh, golly. <laughs> he had to pin me down on that one. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I think that we came up, you know, in, in the, especially in the aftermath of World War II, when we saw the... Uh, how how media was used as a weapon by all the belligerents and the idea being that you know we can't survive as a democratic or a republican uh, republican form of government without proper information for the electorate to decide what to do and then there were things that came out then uh i remember meet the press for example where they'd bring in uh various journalists to discuss issues of the day uh we had, uh, of course, there was Ed Merle, who was a, a giant in the field. Uh, and um, you, you can say a lot of things about Cronkite. <laughs> Uncle sure. Walter, the most trusted man in America. I'm not fully convinced that he was as, uh, that he was as, as objective as, uh, as he has been portrayed. Sure, but no there, doubt. But there was the, the thing that if you heard Walter say it, you knew it was true. Uh, I wrote a... Um, uh, a handbook some years ago uh, when uh, I was trying to, when I was establishing a news station and uh, what I had said in that was that when you deliver the news the audience has to know that what you are saying is correct you know they, <laughs> and you know, how do you do that part of it is delivery and part of it is, is simply doing your homework and remembering that your opinion doesn't matter. That's another thing that really bugs me, is that when you're doing a straight news report, your opinion doesn't matter. Well, that's, you know, it, well, I, I, and again, I'm sorry for floundering. I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to talk to you because it's such a frustration. It is. It, it, just strike, it just strikes. It strikes me that the vocation of journalist is is to is to be in be informed as broadly as possible and give people information that helps you know that helps them discern. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I remember in, in journalism school, one of the things uh, was, you know, what is the definition of news? And that is information that people know, need to know to conduct their daily lives. Uh, and that might be anything as simple from a weather report to uh, reporting a traffic accident that might affect their, their uh, commute, uh, a tax issue that is up for, uh, up for vote. And, you know, there's a whole series of things like that. And that's where you, for example, let, let's let's go with the tax issue that I said. It's a hypothetical here. Um, and the thing is, you wouldn't say that this is a good idea or a bad idea. You will simply say this is what the proponents say. This is what the opponents say. And make up your own mind from this point. Uh, and that's where I think we're lacking now is that so often the, the media sees itself as, uh, as uh, oh, how should I phrase it? They see themselves as agents of change. Uh, some years ago, when I was in Alabama, I was uh, giving some lectures at the University of South Alabama. And one of the questions I always raised to the class was, uh, how many of you want to go into journalism so you can make a difference? 
and they'd all raise their hands. And I would look at them and say, then go into advertising. You don't belong in journalism. That's not your job. Your job is to simply state the facts and let the people make up their own mind. If they want to change, they will. If they don't, they won't. That's interesting. If you want to make a difference, go into advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or become a social worker, something like that. It was just the the other thing. The other question I would give to them. Uh, <laughs> I had this class in front of me, and I would say to them, "Can any of you tell me who is the president of the United States?" And they look at me as if I was insane. <laughs> and finally, one timid soul would raise her hand, and in this particular case, I think it was Jimmy Carter. God help me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and. Sure. I said, well, Jimmy Carter is. And I just say to them, how do you know? You know because either I or someone like me told you so. That gives you an idea of the reach of media, the influence and the importance of it. Because you don't know what's happening beyond your, your senses. You've got to rely on other people to tell you what it is. And you have to have faith that what they're telling you is correct. And that's... That's a heavy burden. I know mean, my dad regarded journalism as a calling. Well, uh, I think it is. I do, too. I do, too. The, and, this, and this is part of what distresses distresses me is, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm a big sports guy, and, you know, that's kind of an outlet for me. But watching watching ESPN during COVID has just felt to me like an absolute barrage of uh, of socialist media. Um, yeah, I don't understand you know, what politics have to do with sport. <laughs> that just blows me away. So I don't. Know, I, I, I'm sorry, Kip, for floundering, but I'm I'm thankful to have the conversation with you. But that you know, you're you're. It's helpful to me that you know someone that's you know someone that I trust that's in the field has basically just told me, you know, there really aren't great reliable sources out there. You just got to do a fair amount of reading, and it's not going to be like the old days. Um, it is, and the one thing, and I always have to remind myself of this, is not to read only things that I agree with. Right. One of the uh, most valuable lessons I got in, uh, well, when I was in high school, I was a, I was a member of the debate team. And uh, one of the things that we had to do was to defend ideas that we don't like. Sure. And that taught me the research. Lance, we're coming up into the last minute of the program here. Do you have any any final thoughts here uh, or any advice for the audience or any one last question? Well, that, I mean, I would turn that on you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just want to say I'm, you know, I'm really thankful for the conversation, for the people out there. You know, when you have a chance to talk to your pastor, um, you know, we like to learn from people. Um, I'm really thankful for Kip Allen and to be able to have this kind of conversation with a, a journalist that I trust. Um, take advantage of the opportunity to get to know your pastor and when you can have a conversation because, uh, we like to learn from you too. Yeah, it's it's it is indeed a learning process, and uh, you know you can you you know more about theology than I'll ever know. But every one of the uh, people in your parish, every single congregant has his own views, his own positions, his own 
perspective, his own worries, his own joys and failings. And especially as a uh, pastor, these are things that you need to know. Lance, I want to thank you once again for being on the show. As usual, a wonderful conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.